to the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast hyphen nation I am your host Kellen Conley and I already said it's hyphen nation but I have someone who I've wanted to get on my podcast since I first started it in 2016 ladies and gentlemen and we came close last year to making it happen but then life happened and then finally I reached out to him yesterday I was like can you do the show with me he's like uh what's up i was like i don't care i just want you to be on my podcast he's like absolutely <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen live from brooklyn new york i give you Derek ferguson hello how y'all doing greetings and salutations thank you for having me on your podcast i've been looking forward to being on it with you as much as you have sir awesome so for those of you not to know Derek is a writer extraordinaire first and foremost he is an author and when i say author i mean he's a real author he got books and bricks and mortars in some places and and i'm amazon mostly but he is an author he is he also is a former co-host of one of the podcasts that i used to help out with better in the dark one of the i like to say it was crowned and renowned i believe that's what tom used to call it one of the greatest movie podcasts has probably been graced the internet in my opinion but of course i am biased he was on there for many years uh, with Tom doing uh, movie reviews and things seven, of that nature. Seven, seven years. Can you believe that? I, I can't, man. Like, I was looking through uh, the, I, I have it still on my podcast app, and I was just looking through the number of shows that says it's unlistened, even though I've listened to most of them. And it's like 300 some shows with all the point fives and everything put together. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, the last time I talked to Tom, man, we were talking, and he, you know, he made mention of how many years. I said, "Really? It was that? It was that long? It didn't. It certainly didn't seem like it when we were doing it. But I guess because since we were having such a good time doing it, we, you know, we. I mean, the time just flew by. Yeah, and and I mean, I was along with you guys from the very start of it. And oh I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm just checking I mean, now. 344 episodes is what it says I haven't listened to on this on my podcast app. So, I mean, your wow. contrib- I mean, your contribution was invaluable, and I think that that's part of what made that podcast as successful as it was, and still is because I get emails from people that you know they discover it. And, you know, they say, oh, man, this, oh, this is terrific. I wish I'd known about this when it was, you know, when you guys were, when we were doing popping. it. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it, and it was a, it was a fun ride because y'all started in 2007. Because I remember the first couple episodes was like you did trailer previews, essentially. And yeah. then Spider-Man 3 came out. And that was like episode three or four. And then, of course, you did the Halloween episode pretty early. And the Harryhausen episode pretty early. And it's all off top of the head. So that's how dedicated I am, Derek. <laughs> um, so, and then y'all just kind of started figuring things out as y'all went. And it was it was a great ride, man. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not speculating on anything. We've had private discussions. Me, you, Tom, and Kelly, and um, and Des a little bit about the if there will ever be a return. But 
I strongly recommend my first recommendation of this episode is that you guys go look up Better in the Dark. Um, the website's actually still up. It's uh, I believe it's betterinthedark.wordpress.com now. I, don't, I think the domain name isn't up, but it's out there and it has all the episodes on there thanks to Kelly Loge, who did a great job. You know, the episode's up. Go check it out. It's it is um hasn't been it's been a few years since the guys recorded together, but it's it's really worth your time. You're gonna find a lot of great content on there. As a matter of fact, you know, we did uh do I don't want to call it a veteran the dark reunion episode, but we have what movie did we went to see? We went to see Happy Death Day to you. Okay. And when we came out of the movie theater, we recorded you know, our impressions of the movie. And we did like about like 20 minutes. Hey, we were in my car. We were driving back to Brooklyn and we were in the car and we were recording it. Where, where if you go to the uh, Dread Media Facebook page, you can find the link to it on there somewhere. How did I not know that? I gotta, I'm going to go find it right after this. Because yeah, I, I got to yeah. have my fix of, of my guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, and then... um. We saw another movie after that. We went to see another movie, but something happened to the raw feed of that, and okay. Tom lost it, or you know, it got corrupted or whatever like that. But yeah, but you know, we came out and we did this little, you know, quick twenty minutes, you know, talking about the movie. So, uh, you know, and I mean, uh, Tom and I have had discussions about, well, do we want to bring it back? Do we want to do it again? And you know. Uh, our strong feeling is that, you know, we wouldn't want to do it unless, of course, you were a part of it and Kelly is a part of it because we felt it was a team. You know, it was a whole team. It wasn't just me and Tom. It was, right, you know, right. all of us all together. And um, and frankly, since I am horrendously materialistic, you know, I said, <laughs> well, I want, you know, I want to make sure that we can make some money off of this, you know. Yeah, it's it's so, so. I almost feel like we we missed the window with Better in the Dark because there was a few times that uh, I know that there were people who were sending uh, what they could to the show and there were some fundraisers that um y'all tried to do. Um, but now it seems like every time I try a new podcast out, they're talking about their Patreon and you go check out their Patreon and they have all these people who are literally donating to their one show. And I'm like, we just missed that window. Like just as Better yeah. in the Dark was slowing down, Patreon yeah. kind of took off. Yeah, just when we stopped doing it, that's when you had uh, all of this thing like the Kickstarter and the Patreon and, uh, you know, all of that was starting up. And I felt that we could have, you know, uh, cashed in on that, huh. you know, if we had hung around for a while, but we did, you know. And, and as I was telling Tom, you know, I've had some small success with my own Patreon page where I uh, present original fiction every month and uh you know i mean i'm not getting rich off of it you know but uh you know it's a nice couple of dollars that i get coming in every month yeah yeah so well since we're we're on the topic of better in the dark um i mean i i didn't know how much you want to get into it because i I know that it the, the demand is high and i know you guys have and hell, all of us have talked privately about what what the possibility of what the future would bring. I didn't know how much you want to get into it, but I just want to bring up one of my favorite Better in the Dark moments while we're sitting right here. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is Giant Foam Kong out of nowhere. Yeah. That, 
that you started singing the giant film Kong for your mama. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's the thing about Better in the Dark. It was it was serious movie reviews. Like you can go to Derek and you can go to Tom and get a serious movie review. But when they were together on the microphone, it was it was magical because they would belt they play off of each other and you would just get all kinds of silly moments. I was on the show two times, maybe three times, because I was on the Blade episode, or not the Blade episode, the uh, Shaft episode, the Prince episode, and maybe one other. Um, but every time it just just fell into complete silliness, and we got so far off track, just talking about everything. But it, it that was the thing that it was just like it was just the chemistry between you guys, and that came from your lifelong friendship because you and Tom have known each other for years, right? Well, we had known each other. Uh, our association began because both of us were writing DC and Marvel fan fiction. Okay, that's what I thought. That, and that's how we got to know each other because uh, back then, I mean, it's not a big thing now, but you know, back then, um, you had all of these different websites uh, that were based around Marvel and DC you know, fan fiction, and you had guys that were writing, you know, like I wrote, like, The Hulk and Avengers, and uh, I did a Prowler series, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we knew each other as writers for a few years, and the way that Better in the Dark started, it just started as a lark, because Tom knew somebody uh, that needed content for his internet radio station. Right, I forgot about that. Tom had said, yeah, well, you know, I got a friend of mine. He likes movies. I like the movies. Maybe we can do something. And uh, that's how it started. We were only supposed to do like six episodes. So we did the six episodes. And then after that, we said, well, why don't we just keep this going on our own? Because for some reason, that deal, you know, fell through. Right. Um, Just didn't want to throw away the six episodes that we had did. So we said, well, why don't we just, you know, do a podcast. So I didn't know anything about podcasting. Uh, Tom had some experience in it, and he also had experience in radio. Yeah. So, so he knew how to edit the episodes and stuff like that. And uh, I think what made it special was the fact that when we recorded it, you know, Tom would come over to my house. We would mm-hmm. set aside a Friday, and we would say, okay, well, we're going to set this day aside. And, you know, we would usually record like two episodes. You know, and uh, I think that that where uh, um, that's where the chemistry came from, because it was the two of us sitting in the same room at the same time talking to each other. So we were having a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That that uh, the listeners were eavesdropping on. (laughs) So so when you're actually sitting there next to somebody, it's easy to have that back and forth and to get into that riffing and, you know, do that type of thing. And I think that's what set us apart and made us unique in that, you know, we, you know, you could hear we were having a good time while we were doing it. Yeah. Um, and that, like, I, that clearly came across every single episode, even, even when Tom was getting angry about something or even when you would get upset about something, the, the main focus was you, you were giving it to people straight you weren't sugarcoating it. You had no money coming in as far as, hey, give this movie a good review or anything. You guys were literally two dudes from Brooklyn watching movies, well, and yeah, and 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 that's the and that's the incredible thing about it. So, again, I, I highly recommend that y'all go back and check out all that material that's available. It's still on Earth2.net, um, and that's Earth 
uh, that way it's earth-2.net, I believe. Um, yes. So that's still on there. And then it's on iTunes, anywhere podcasts are sold. Uh, so make sure you check that out. And then maybe, I don't know if you remember this, Derek, maybe if, if Thomas gave me permission, I'll break out the original podcast that got Thomas in the podcast, and which is Other People's Toys, which oh. I have every episode of on my hard drive still. Wow, that's a, really? Wow. Oh, yeah. You want to contact him and tell him. I know he would love it. He's probably still got it somewhere because Tom never throws it. Tom's got everything. Oh, know? I know. Me, I don't. Me, I don't. I don't save anything. I don't, <laughs> you know, no, I don't. I don't even go back and listen to the episodes because people say, oh, you've never listened to that? I said, no. I said, first of all, I said, I hate the sound of my voice. Yeah, I remember yeah. you saying that. Yeah, I hate the sound. I, you know, I would, you know, I, I record the episode. Now, my wife, she would listen to it and she would say, oh, yeah, well, it sounds good, you know, and, and she would tell me how it was. But, and that's why, because you know how you always hear actors say, well, I never watch my own movies, and you say, "Yeah, well, yeah. that must be a bunch of bullshit," you know. But, yeah. but, but once I started doing the podcast, I understood how they felt because I never went back and I never listened to, you know. Uh, some of them are very rare occasions. I would go back and I would listen to it, but for the most part, most of those episodes I've never heard. Yeah, because yeah, you, I would say that I would say there's about a good seventy-five percent of those episodes I've never heard of. I've never listened to them. I totally That's how get much it. I don't like the sound of my voice. I don't hate the sound of my voice, obviously, but <laughs> um, no. But you've got a pleasant voice. I like oh, hearing your voice. Well, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, I I used to go back when in my um, early podcasting days when I used to do the hip hop show with my friend Matt and everything, um, or anything else I would do. I'd just be so eager to go back and listen to the playback. And now with hyphenation, like unless I'm looking for something specific or I literally just turn it on while I'm kind of doing something just to hear something I might've done a while back. I don't listen to episodes either. Like uh, if I, even if I have somebody on with me and a guest, like I might check it just to see what I said or what I might be able to work on and stuff. But normally I'm so organized when I go into these things anymore that I don't even have to think about doing an actual interview. We're literally having a conversation about a certain topic. So it's not even that much work. I don't, I, I don't listen to half of the episodes either. Like, so yeah. I completely get it now. And, I, and that blows my mind because I used to be so eager. I like, I got to listen to this episode. Listen to how it sounds. I know how it sounded. I was there. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I tell people. I said, well, I don't have to listen to it. I was there. I know what's that. It's like um, every once in a while I get an email from somebody and they'll ask me about a scene in one of my books or one of my stories. And I said, well, hold on. I got to go back and I got to read it. I said, well, what do you mean you have to go back and read it? You know, you wrote it. I said, yeah, but. Once I wrote it, that's it. I don't read it. I, I mean, I don't go back and read my stuff. I don't. Right. Especially when it, when I write, say, like a Dylan novel, by the time I've finished it, I've read the thing about like 50, 60 times. <laughs> I have no desire to read it ever again in life. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. Yeah. I, I mean, because I mean, writing is a, is a tough process. I mean... <clears throat> You do your draft, your first draft, and then you got to go back and do however many drafts you're doing and editing and cutting this out and doing all the different things. And by the time you finish, then you don't want to ever look at it again. So. I never wanted to, the, uh, like, the only time I made, and even then, I don't read, like, when I'm writing, like, a new Dylan story or a new Dylan novel, if I have to go back, because, of course, I have to go back and I have to double check and make sure that I don't get the eye color of a character wrong or right. I may reference something that happened in a previous book so I'll go back 
but I'll just read that one section. I won't like sit there and like read the whole book. You know, like, man, this say, is a page okay, turner. Well, who wrote this? Who wrote this book? This is so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I was because I'm working on I, you know, I'm working on the sequel to uh, Young Dylan in the halls of Shambhala. I'm working on the sequel now. So I read that book for the first time in like, you know, since I wrote it, and that was like three, four years ago. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, you know something, this ain't half bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was listening to audiobook a few weeks ago and I and I immediately hopped in the Facebook group and I was or Dylan's group and I was like, who's that guy reading? Cause his voice is magical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that that guy, he's the same guy that did the uh Fortune McCall, you know, the audiobook. Yeah, yeah, you, you told yeah. me that, Dan. So I, I got to check that one out. But I was listening to it, and I think I'm only on chapter two of the audiobook. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, this guy's good. Like the inflections and everything. And then, and then even yeah. the, I was like, man, he nailed it. He nailed yeah. it for sure. So, so now I, we're, we're crossing into your writing career, but I do want to say that writing is how I actually met met Derek Ferguson, ladies and gentlemen, because um, like Derek said, I got into the fan fiction game in the early 2000s. Uh, Derek was a big wig over at Marvel Volume 1 and various other places writing all this other cool stuff. And uh, of course, he was at, uh, what was it, Legends? Is that where you were writing? DC Legends. Yes, DC Legends. Legends. And I saw his name on a bunch of stuff, and I was like, man, this Derek Ferguson guy writes a lot of stuff. And imagine my surprise when... I for I don't know how I discovered it. You might have posted a picture, posted something on the website. I was like, I was like, Derek Ferguson's a brother. Yes. <laughs> cause, cause I was I was an 18, 19 year old black kid from West Virginia who decided he wanted to try his hand at writing some fan fiction when he discovered it. And then to find out that this guy who was highly respected in this community I just joined was getting all this praise and it turned out that he, he was a black author. I was just uh, absolutely floored by that. So I was actually intimidated by you at one point, Derek, because I, I of uh, how everybody praised you and just how the way you carried yourself online. I was like, man, like this this guy's got his stuff together. Like he just kind of writes his stuff in his spare time. And, and like I'm never like in my own young head, I'm like, I'm never gonna get on this guy's level. And then eventually we became friends and I think it was f- through Live Journal. And yeah, then yeah. yeah because live journal back in the day was where everything was popping because you'd read everybody's stuff on your friends list and back you would then, comment. Back then, and, live journal was what Facebook is now. Yeah, yeah, it, it was its own community. And of course, the Russian bots came in and took all that away and Facebook yeah. developed. Um, I was actually on my live journal not too long ago and I was like, uh, uh, like it's still up. And I was reading some of the things I'd say. I'm like, man, if I could only talk to that kid and be like, what are you talking about crying about this on <laughs> live journal? Uh, but we became friends, me and Derek, and I had uh, I think we started really talking around the time that you had started Frontier Publishing uh, with several other writer friends of yours from Fanfic. I don't I'm like like Russ comes to mind, Russ Anderson. Yeah, was, and, but Russ Anderson, Mike Exner the third, Eric Frome. Yeah. Tom DJ. Tom was in there, was, of course. Yeah, uh, was it Megan McGee? Curtis, Megan Curtis, uh, who else? Mike McGee, was he yeah, there? Mike, right, yeah, Mike McGee, yeah, because he was the one, that's when he created the city of Denbrook, which I still use in my fiction, it was Joel Jenkins, 
yes, he was John. part of that crew too. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, but it was about like I would say about almost about ten of us that started. You know, we were all writing fan fiction at that time, but we all had, uh, you know, um, we all wanted to write original fiction. Yeah. So we all got together, you know, and we said, okay, well. What are we going to call this? And I think it was Des Davies. I think he was the one that came up with the name Frontier. I mean, I don't yeah. really remember how. This was a long time back. Yeah, this is like 2003 when I remember right. it coming yeah. about. But what had uh, happened and what we did was that every month, uh, uh, we each presented a new chapter, whatever we were working. Mostly it was serialized novels. Which is, and I like to think that I'm keeping the spirit of Frontier alive with my own Patreon site, which the more, which the more perceptive of you, of you out there will keep noticing that I keep mentioning. Uh, <laughs> We're um, definitely going to plug it. Don't worry, I got you. Um, yeah, so I, you know, so I'm still keeping that spirit alive because in Frontier, what we did was that we presented a new chapter every month. Matter of fact, that's where Dylan and the voice of Odin. That's where it was first presented. It was, I presented a new chat and everybody had a different chapter going. So every month when you came back to Frontier, you were guaranteed you were going to have a lot of good reading because you had at least about eight, nine, ten chapters of all these different stories that were going on all at the same time. Hold up. I'm Thomas DJ, top professional. I'm Scott McGregor, talented amateur. And we'd like to invite you to join us for our journey through every adventure of The Avengers. No, not that Avengers. You won't find any tights, magic hammers, or fancy shields here. But you will find some supervillains and some hot women in tight leather, so there is that. And champagne. Oh, yeah, lots of champagne. With Umbrella, Charm, and Bowler, that other Avengers podcast, covering the seminal spy series that lasted from 1961 to 1969 on an episode-by-episode basis. Join us as we explore the television series that helped shape pop culture and made an icon out of Diana Rigg, Honor Blackman, and Patrick Dean. With Umbrella, Charm, and Bowler. That other Avengers podcast, coming straight towards you every month. Only on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You know. Right. And it was literally, it was just like almost going to the comic shop every week, except you're getting original content. And that's what floored me because a good fan fiction site around that time, they would have releases every single week. And except you're writing other other companies' characters. And then you guys came in and were like, were like, well, fuck this. We're going to do our own shit. And then y'all, y'all just started doing your own ideas and, and spinning it out. And one of the things that immediately caught my eye was I saw your name was on it was this character named Dylan. So can, can you kind of explain what, what, where Dylan came from? I know you've done this so many times, either on your site or on other shows before, but can you do it for me, Derek? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Basically Dylan started because I remember when, as a young lad, um, my father was a big, you know, movie fan, as is my mother, which is where I get my love of movies from. As, you know, and me and my father used to watch movies all the time. And I remember we, we were watching a James Bond movie. I believe it was Diamonds Are All Forever. And uh, one of the things that I always wondered, you know, because I would always go to the movies or watch movies at 
home and see all the these terrific action heroes and stuff like that. And I was saying, you know, well, Dad, how come there's not a black James Bond? And he said, well, wait, because even then I wanted to be a writer. You know, I told my father, yeah, one day I'm going to grow up and be a writer. He said, yeah, sure, kid. And he said, uh, okay, well, when you get to be a writer, why don't you create a black James Bond? And uh, as I got a little bit older and it was around like 1976 and 1977 is what I call the big pulp boom of that era. Whereas mm -hmm. that's when Bantam started reprinting the 1930s Doc Savage with those great James Bomber covers. That's when they yeah. started being reprinted in paperback form. And once that became a success, well, then, of course, they brought back the Avenger and they brought back the Shadow and G8 and all these other great pulp characters. And that's when I discovered, uh, you know, these characters and that genre of pulp. And I said, wow, okay, this is perfect for what I want to do without even really fully understanding it. But I understood the feeling that I wanted to get not only from the Pulse, but also from, uh, because back then, um, you had on PBS, they would occasionally run uh, the serials like Spy mm -hmm. Smasher and Flash Gordon and, you know, all of these great old, all of these great cliffhangers. And I said, okay, that's what I want to do. That's what I latched into it. And I created this character in the mold of, you know, the classic pulp heroes like Doc Savage and Tarzan and all of those guys. But he's black, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you Which know, huge. Uh, well, yeah, well, you know what? I thought it was huge, you know, because and I think that that's the appeal of Dylan um, is that. He's a black character. We see him in situations and doing things and encountering, you know, all kinds of uh, wild, crazy characters and getting into situations that we've never seen a black character get into before. You know, we don't usually see uh, a black character taking on, you know, like a Goldfinger level supervillain that's out to conquer the world. Right. right. Like Dylan, Dylan is just I. I didn't read it when it was on Frontier. I, I was fronting for some reason. But the book came out, and I was like, oh, my man got a book out. I got to at least get the book, you know. Let me let me pick up this book, Dylan in the Voice of Odin, and uh, finally read this whole thing all together, because I had read, like, snippets and stuff. But mm -hmm. I read the Voice of Odin, Derek, and I, I think if my memory fails me, uh, or not fails me, I feel like the original release of it was, when you first put it out, was, like, at least 2000 and. 2008, I think. Somewhere around, somewhere around there. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. At, but yeah, it was vaguely somewhere around there. And and I and I got the and I got the book and I sat down and read it and it had the original cover, not the Sean Ali cover that's on there now. The You're gorgeous right. yeah. Sean Ali cover. I still have my copy downstairs somewhere. And I read this book and it was just I was just completely floored because. I knew you could write, Derek. Don't get me wrong. I'd read your stuff before, but I didn't realize how great you were at crafting worlds. And something I've learned over the years as a as a so-called writer and a reader of of tons of fiction and science fiction is when you're an author and you're trying to tell a story of a character, you have to be able to world build. 
And one of the things that you did so well in Voice of Odin, even though it's just one story in Dylan, like a few days in Dylan's life, a couple of weeks, um, it, you still were able to build this whole mythology around Dylan and just these few tales of everything that happened with him trying to track down uh, the Odin and everything. And it, it's just, and then on top of that, like I said, the character was black. So I was like, that's a double bonus. Cause not only is this adventure fun, but then you're putting a black character ahead of it. And it, it was just a completely fun ride. And the best thing about the voice of Odin for me is I immediately wanted to start the next book, which I don't think was out yet. <laughs> so, um, cause legend, uh, like you had started golden bell on frontier site, but then frontier shuttered. And then it became, you were trying to actually get the golden bell released. Um, so Dylan is just, just a fantastic character and his world and everything that goes along with him. Kudos to you for how you've been able to develop them over the years, and especially with that first book. You want to know where that came from? The okay, oh, okay, the voice of Odin. Usually, as a lot of people have noticed, uh, and which I get complimented on, which you know, I say, oh yeah, thanks a lot, because that's exactly what I'm going on. You know, that I'm going for is that the Dylan novels are basically summer blockbuster action movies in prose. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. Yes, they are. And they're inspired by different movies and stuff like that, like Dylan and the Legend of the Golden Bell. The second half of the book, when Dylan and his friends actually have to descend into the bowels of the earth to recover the Golden Bell, that's inspired by uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So mm -hmm. that whole second half of the book, that's my riff on it. Uh, uh, Dylan, the voice of Odin, actually, believe it or not, uh, it was inspired by the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, okay. Because if you remember Buckaroo Banzai, you're kind of just thrown into this world and there's like this whole mythology that's yes. implied as you go through the movie. And, you know, the longer the movie goes on, there's things that's in there. Like, you know, everybody remembers the watermelon. You know, <laughs> that's in the press. And the guy says, it. I'll explain it to you later. You know? And right. It's, you know, it's all these little goofy things in the movie that are thrown away that suggest a larger universe that's going on. And the conceit of Buckaroo Banzai is that, yes, it's the first movie, but they play it as if this has been a series that's been going on for a long time. And you just come into the middle of things that are happening. Yeah, so you, you just skip the origin story altogether, which I but, appreciate it. Right. <laughs> that's the same thing I did with. Dylan and the voice of Odin, you, you know, I just put you in the middle of it and you're supposed to feel like you just came into the middle of the story. Like, you know, okay. Like, cause it opens up with him, um, being chased by a bunch of guys on this Island. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and he has to go to the ocean liner and stuff like that. Yeah. You're, you're supposed to feel like you came in the middle of, of a movie, you know, you say, Oh wow. You know, like you're flipping the channels and be, oh wow, let me stop and see. Let me this stop here and watch this. Right, yeah. that's the feeling that I was trying to capture on paper. Um, so was Dylan your first published? Uh, I know it was obviously your first published book, but was it the first thing that you had published on that level? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, uh, I had actually because um, see, I go back to when you. We had to try to uh, publish a book the old-fashioned way. You actually put the book in an envelope and you had to mail it to a publisher. Yes. So back in the 1980s, 
I had tried to sell a Dylan novel. What? And, uh, yeah, nobody was biting. Nobody was biting. Was it was it the same premise as Voice of Odin or? Uh, it was a slightly different version. Okay. This one actually, uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, it incorporated a lot of the stuff that because I never throw away anything, I just recycle it. It it actually incorporated a lot of stuff that eventually became uh, Young Dylan in the halls of Shambhala. Okay. And so like this version was an origin story. And then we went into the adventure and I said, you know, something, this isn't working. And then when I saw Buck Ruban's eye, I said, okay, bam, the light bulb went off. I said, okay, this is what you got to do. Whack off the origin, tell that shit later and just <laughs> throw, pe just throw people into the middle of it and let them figure out what's happening on their own. Uh, but yeah, but no, nobody was by, as a matter of fact, I, I had sent the manuscript to an agent and oh, wow. the agent and the agent had said that he would take me on as a client, but only if I changed Dylan to a white guy. Oh um, my. Yeah. yeah. That's a no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, he said, listen, he said, there's no way I'm going to sell this like, you know, and see, my thing was, well, nobody told Ernest Tidyman when he created Shaft that he had to make Shaft a white guy. Right. <laughs> and he was white, Ernest Tidyman. So, you know. Yes, he was. I mean, um, of course, I'm no, wild. Of, of course, I'm no Ernest Tidyman, but, you know, I said, nah, that, you know, I shook hands with the guy, I said, nah, that's, and mind you, this was a black agent, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was black. Yeah, he was black. Right, guy. last said, time you ever spoke to that guy, right? Yeah, he said, nah. He said, there's no way I could sell this case. He said, but if you change him to a white guy, he said, you know, we can work together. I said, nah, that's all right. Damn. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so how did it feel when you first held Voice of Ode in your hands and you had your actual, actual physical copy in your hands? How crazy uh, was that? You know, it was, it, 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 the feeling is, absolutely indescribable and i only hope and you know what i feel that same i have that same feeling every time i have a new book that's published like i just recently had a book uh will write for food yes freelance stories of Derek ferguson and when i took the book out, out of the box i still had that same feeling <laughs> and i hope i always had that feeling because once I start to take it for granted, then I know it's time for me to, you know, throw my guns in the water bucket and ride out. Right. I get that feeling when I get a new podcast out, which is crazy because I'm in the 90s now. Episode, this is episode 89 we're doing now, or episode 90 we're actually doing. And every time that I know that I'm done with it and I posted it and I can leave it and I put it on social media and walk away from it and I just get to take a moment and be away from it, I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, you know, so you're supposed to feel like that because, you know what? Because okay, especially with writing, with writing is something that you have to do by yourself. Yes, you have to sit for long periods of time. Sometimes you you don't feel like doing it. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I don't feel like. Oh man, last thing I want to do is sit this damn tired and oh, I gotta write this scene and I gotta deal with this and I gotta deal with that, but. But at the end of the day, it's still something that I enjoy. I'm not one of these writers that's going to, you know, you'll never hear me go on and on and on about, oh, it's so horrible. It's so hard doing this writing. Oh, it's, you know, listen, if it's that hard, go sell Tupperware. Right. 
You know, I you know I don't have time for writers that go through all of that BS about oh this oh 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 this is so hard oh the tragedy of being a writer. Please, I believe you know, uh, Biggie uh, once said, um, "Don't be mad. UPS is hiring." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there are people out there. Who, uh, listen, there are people out there that have to work real jobs. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, come on. It's not that hard, and it. And if you do feel it's that hard, then go find something else. It's just that simple. Go find something else to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you should always, the idea at least, is like you want to be doing something work-wise that, that makes you happy on some level. And like, absolutely, if you want to sit there and cry about writing and using your brain all day to make up these, to imagine these stories and then put them on paper, then I, I'd have to agree. You should definitely be selling Tupperware somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm having a ball. I love, listen, I love making shit up. <laughs> Seriously, I do. I love it. It's, it's one, it's, you know, the most fun I can have with my clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a quote for today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, so you're, you're a full-time writer now, because I, I, I know that you were doing the landlord thing for a while. I don't know if you're still doing that, but yes, you I just. Am. Okay, so you you got that. Um, but obviously you live in the same building that you're doing that in, so it's not like yeah. you have buildings all across Brooklyn or anything. Um, and then the other time when you're not when you're home and you're not traveling around the country and going to Florida to get away from New York, um, you are a full time writer. So can you kind of take me through the process of a normal writing day for you? Normal writing day is usually I get up about like nine o'clock in the morning. I have yeah. coffee with my wife. Uh, you know, we talk about what we're going to do that day, and we have business to take care of. Uh, usually, we'll go in the morning and take care of that business, and then in the afternoon, I'll sit down. And I'll do my writing. I actually do my best writing. Uh, if I wasn't talking to you now. It'd be right now. Oh yeah, I'll be right. Usually I'm I usually I write like from nine PM to like two in the morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some yeah, sometimes I take a break and watch a movie like at twelve o'clock to you know, like at midnight. And then mm-hmm. once the movie is over, I'll sit down and maybe like, you know, write for an hour and then I'll go to bed. But in but usually generally in the morning what I do is that I read over whatever I did the day before and I'll edit it because I edit as I go. Yeah. I don't, I don't wait till I get to like the end and then I got to edit the whole thing. No, 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 no. I edit too daunting, it as I go. I almost feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's too much. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to none of y'all people. I'm lazy. I don't, <laughs> that's too much work. <laughs> so, so if I've written like five pages the day before, in the morning, I'll go back and I'll edit those five pages. And yeah. then what I'll do in the afternoon, then I'll pick up from wherever I left off and I'll write that, you know. Uh, so basically, that's how I do it. You know, I'm very relaxed and I kind of feel kind of guilty about that. But I think that I'm more relaxed about it because I don't have to depend upon my writing for my livelihood. Yes. You know. I'm retired. Everything's I have bonus. That's, you know, I've got an income that's coming in, you know. So, I mean, if I had to actually live off my writing, I would probably be starving right <laughs> about now because I'm very lazy about it. Right. But, uh, 
But no, but I mean, like, when it's a project that I'm really, I mean, you know, when I get seized with the fever, mm-hmm. oh, forget about it. Then I'm relentless. Then I tell my wife, I say, listen, don't bother me today. I said, I said, I got something cooking. And she'll say, okay, I'll see you later. And I'll go down in the basement and I'll be down in there for like anywhere from six to eight hours straight. Just, you know, working. Hold up. It's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay or whatever. It's like ladies night or whatever. It's like wrestling or whatever. It's like parenting or whatever. It's like anime or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people coming around doing what we do best or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. Yeah, that, that that's incredible because because uh, the Facebook group uh, that we're in together, um, you're you're always posting about uh, stop procrastinating and writing, like just a little reminder and stuff. Because a, a huge majority of the people that's in that group are actual writers, um, oh, yeah, and yeah. creatives. So you're always kind of like like pushing us in a gentle way to uh, get back to writing or get back to working on what you're supposed to be working on instead of looking at Facebook technically. So it's kind of like a joke within a joke. Um, but the, are you are you the kind of writer that like you want to listen to music or anything or do you have like or you just get to it and like just block everything out and the only thing you see in your head is what's going on uh, that you're put, about to put the paper or anything like that? It all depends. Usually when I'm writing Dylan, mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, I've got music like I've got like seventies music going. I've got disco music going. Oh yeah, yeah, got you know, like I, I've got that. I've got you know, like uh, uh, uh movie soundtracks going, you know, mm-hmm. James Bond soundtracks. I'll put that on, you know, all kind, Yeah. All kinds of stuff I play. It, uh, um, it all depends because I'm never in the same mood when I'm writing, like when I'm writing Dylan, like I said, usually I'm visualizing that as a big widescreen IMAX summer blockbuster action movie. So right. it's, appro- so it's appropriate for me to have, you know, like a lot of music going. When I'm doing it, when I'm writing something else, you know, uh, like for instance, when I write Sebastian Red, which is my weird Western character, well, of course, I'll have, uh, you know, soundtracks from Western movies. Yeah. Like, Good, bad, know. and ugly. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of Morricone that I play, including Greengrass, those guys that do, you know, the hip hop and they do the bluegrass. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll have that playing. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it, uh, there are some times though when I write in total silence, right? Because it like the mood calls for it. I mean, I can't imagine you doing like a heavy scene and then having some guns and roses in the background, it just wouldn't fit. Like, you kind of have to shut down and just concentrate on the moment, right? Especially when I'm writing dialogue, because mm. when I'm writing the dialogue, I'm actually hearing the voices in my head and I and I have to pay attention not only to what they say but how they're saying it. Yeah, cuz you want to get the inflections and everything right in your head. Right. And then yeah. want to convey it. Yeah. No, right. I I can I completely get it. Uh, um yeah, so 
I've mentioned multiple times um, in our conversations that I feel like that if I ever had the money, I would definitely make it a priority to make Dylan a film <laughs> of, of, the, of the blockbuster um, idea that Derek envisions every time he sits down to write it. Because I will tell you that these books are just a fun ride, like all the way through. And there's just like no part of them that aren't cool um, to to uh, be to watch, um, even in your head. And so I, I feel like it would make a ton of money. You could do a trilogy easily, and then you could sit there and reboot it like a couple years later with a different dude, <laughs> oh, and yeah. Yeah. you'd be able to keep on with the Dylan story. Um, so how many uh, books do you have total that's actually released in Amazon as far as Dylan Adventures? Because I think it's like four. Is that right? Uh, not see. counting the annual, which used to be four bullets. Is that was the anthology. It's it's Voice of Odin, mm-hmm. Legend of the Golden Bell. Uh, there was Pirates of Zonera, but that's part of the annual now. Okay, yeah, I, you folded it in. Yeah, well, you know what it was. I had all of these different stories that were floating all over the place, and they were, you know, separate ebooks and. And stuff like that. And what I wanted to do was just like, because everybody was asking, oh, how come you just didn't write something new? And I said, well, I wanted to consolidate all of these separate stories that were floating around and put them into one book. So this way, people didn't have to go around buying five or six different separate, you know, like ebooks. They could just buy this one book and bam, you know, you got everything right there that's in your hand. Mm-hmm. And Pirates of Zonir was kind of like a short novel. You know, that was kind of like an anomaly because it wasn't really a full novel and it wasn't a novelette. It was like a weird, it was like a weird kind of length. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And and that's actually my favorite one, <laughs> to be really? completely honest with you. Yeah, I, I told you when I, you sent it to me as a, uh, you gave it to me to preview. I was like, yo, this is the one. Like, Zanira is, is off the chain from start to finish yeah right. yeah that yeah that one like i said that was kind of an anomaly because for oh you know i just knew i just wanted to write something where dylan was in his submarine going somewhere to do yeah something. yeah <laughs> and then all of these other little things started occurring to me okay well i'll do this and i'll do this and i'll do this and i'll do that and uh you know, and then I started throwing in the little homages and everything like that. Like, there's a homage to Enter the Dragon. Yes, there is. That, that's in there. You know, which a lot of people, you know, some people, when I tell them, yeah, they say, what, really? I say, yeah, go back and read this. I say, yeah, that's the Enter the Dragon homage. And, yes. uh, you know, there's homages to all other kinds of little things like uh, the scene that's on the beach mm-hmm. uh, where the pirates are having the party. Yes. That's a homage to a scene from the Jewel of the Nile, actually. Oh, okay. See, I didn't I didn't catch that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, being a movie fan, and as you're writing a novel, you know, you do get bored writing it. Yeah. So so me, in order to counteract that when I start getting bored, I will throw in things that, you know, and I know that a lot of times people aren't gonna catch. But in, but it amuses me to no end to put them in there, mm-hmm. and, you know. But I am pleased when people do catch it when you know, like they'll read something and they'll send me email and they say, "Okay, I see what you did there." I say, "Oh, okay, okay, well you got me." <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you you've been doing like you've had your Patreon for like maybe 
two and a half, three years, I believe. And, yeah, somewhere around there. And you, you've been doing the Dylan cereals on there for a while. Um, yeah. So what is the current cereal that you're running on there currently? The current one is Dylan in the Island of Dr. Mama Walde. And, and can you can you tell the people a little bit of what that one's about? Because it sounds like obviously it's about uh, being on the island of Dr. Malawande. But <laughs> do you want to give them a little insight into it, Dave? Well, what had happened was that uh, there's a certain type of character that I'm in love with, and that's the mad scientist. Yes. And I never get to do enough with a man. I did a Dr. Frankenstein novel. I did, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the madness of Frankenstein. And I mean, like, Frankenstein is like the mad scientist. You know, you don't get any better than him. But I wanted Dylan to run up against a mad scientist. And uh, a while ago, um, Josh Reynolds, who I also met, you know, through fan fiction, you know, he was writing fan fiction, I was writing fan fiction. Yeah. And, and he's going on to be an exceptional novelist. If you haven't read any of his stuff, folks, do yourself a favor. After you finish listening to me, go to Amazon and put in Joshua R. Reynolds. And he's writing for Black Library now. And he's oh, doing, is he? Yeah, he's doing Warhammer books and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Oh, shoot. And, Good for uh, him. I didn't realize yeah. that. And also him and I co-wrote a novel together, Dylan novel. Yes, you did. Yeah, the real agenda. Um, where was Which that? Is oh, available on Amazon right that. now. <laughs> yeah, so so I wanted Dylan to confront a mad scientist. So I conceived the uh, notion of this character, Doctor Mama Walde, who, if you if you're a fan of the Blackula movies, then you know where I got it from. <laughs> and Doctor Mama Walde himself is based on. The great William Marshall. Okay. Yeah. So when I describe him in the story, once you get to that, we haven't got to that part yet. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, I just finished chapter seven yesterday. And we still haven't gotten to the damn island yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how you know you're telling a good story if you're if you're still waiting to get to uh get to the um the main character essentially the whole book is if well, you're still working your way there. Well, Dylan had to go rescue some friends of his from African Revolution, and then they're on this freighter, and then the freighter is uh, hijacked by mercenaries, and Dylan, had, yeah, yeah, it's a whole mess. So, yeah, so it's chapter seven, they still haven't got to the island yet. But uh, what happens is that eventually when Dylan gets to this island, he will find that Dr. Mama Walde, who uh, has this fantastic complex on the island, and uh, he's there working with his small army and his son, who is a martial arts master, and his drunken wife, who is all the time selling his inventions on the black market. <laughs> uh, you know, and he's experimenting with African cryptids. Okay. Trying Flowers, to create, right? Yeah, trying to create living weapons that he sells to, you know, various terrorist organizations. Oh, so wow. that's what that story that's that's the current serial that's running and I'm, what happens is that i you know i do these serials and there's uh one chapter every month and when it's finished i put them all together i edit it i streamline it i you know clean up the continuity and then it will be published in the uh dylan annual collection uh next year 
Right. Because you just you just put out 2018's annual collection. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. Yeah. The the yeah. Dylan mythology guys is just it's so fantastic. Um. But we've talked a lot about Dylan. But I don't want to disregard any of your other works that you, that you be doing because you are constantly even for being lazy. You're constantly working, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just scrolling through the uh, through the page here, through the Amazon page, and obviously you you've contributed to how the West was weird. Forger McCall is on here. I don't I don't think it. No, it's available. The paperback is available. I think the yep. ebook wasn't available or something when I tried to get it the other day. I don't know what was happening, but uh, you got Forger McCall, who is a um, character that came from the city of Denbrook. Um, that was from Frontier, correct? Nope, that I mix it up. Yeah, Fortune McCall was part of the uh, Sovereign City project. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, Tommy, uh, Tommy Hancock at Prose Productions. He he created uh, this city called Sovereign City, and he came to me and he came to Barry Reese, and he said, "Well, you know, I want you guys to create characters that will be in this city," he, mm. and. Uh, Tommy, he created a character. And of course, you know, uh, Barry Reese created, you know, more than one character because he's got Lazarus Gray and he's got Gravedigger and he created like a whole host of characters for uh, Sovereign City, which he really made his own. I have to give Barry credit because I yeah, wrote yeah. the Fortune Call and um, I have the sequel. People keep asking me, well, okay, well, when are you going to do the sequel? When are you going to do the sequel? And I have the sequel, and the sequel is about 75% complete. But for the longest time, what had happened was that I was trying to make that sequel a novel, and it didn't want to be a novel. It wanted because the first book was four separate stories. They were in connect, they were interconnected, but they were four separate stories. Okay. okay. You know, think of it as like it was like four episodes of a TV series. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I wanted to write a novel for the second one, but it just didn't want to be a novel. It wanted to be for a separate story. And so sometimes of, stories will do that where it kind of dictates where you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I'm a big believer in listening to my subconscious. You know, he's like this little guy that sits in this grimy little room that's in the back. And, you know, he's sitting there and he's telling me, you know, don't do this, do that, don't do mm -hmm. this. And then when I don't listen to him, that's when I run into problems. So finally, I said, OK, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to break up this novel. I'm going to turn it into four separate stories. And that, and once I started doing that, then it started flowing. So, so, so yeah, I was going to say my apologies. Diamond, uh, Diamondback is from Denbrook, so. Um, yeah, Don, yeah. Don, as a matter of fact, Diamondback is going to be coming out. Uh, I have to I have to find out from uh, Tommy Hancock because I did that as a serial on the Patreon page as well. Mm -hmm. I did that was version. that was after the yeah. first Dylan one, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I put back in all the sex and violence that I had taken out <laughs> <laughs> when it was originally published. I just and put back in all the sex. Yeah, that's all I did. I just put back in Sex of Violence. So, uh, uh, Diamondback is going to be uh, published by Prose gotcha. pretty soon. I don't know when I have that one. I've got uh, this Dylan, The Odd Jobs, 
which I th- which I believe is going to be coming out this month, and that's got four Dylan mm-hmm. stories, but they're not written by me; they're written by other people. Right. Yeah. Um. Can, um. Who are the authors again? Because I remember you listing them, but just for... uh, Russ Anderson wrote one. Yeah. Shout out to Russ. Yeah, which uh, and that doesn't feature Dylan. It's a story that features uh, Ali and Sean Pierre. Oh, that's who, right. Who people will remember from the Pirates of Zanira. That, that that's the mother and son mercenary team. Yes, it is. The yeah. very young son. Like, what? How old is Sean? Sean is like eleven. Uh, yeah, yeah, eleven and twelve. Yeah. And it's a very interesting combo. I, I love loved them in Zanira. So I'm getting to, getting to read more of their adventures is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Um, so he wrote one. Eric Frome wrote one. Shout out to Eric. Yeah. Um, blah, 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 blah. Mark Busquet. Mark. Shout yeah. out to Mark. Yeah, he wrote one. He, oh, I, he, I mean, listen, they're all good. But the <laughs> one that he wrote is so goofy. It's, you know... Oh, really? It is. It is a real goofy story. And who wrote, he, he's going to kill me if I can't name who wrote the fourth story. Oh, my God. Russ, well, I'll think of it before we finish the interview. Okay. But, yeah, yeah. but uh, they all came to me and they said, listen, you know, we want to write, you know. Del- I mean, people have been telling me for a while that they wanted to do Dylan's stories. And I went to Tommy and I said, well, you know what? If I can get a bunch of stories, you publish it, right? He said, listen, I'll publish anything you give me. <laughs> Smart man. So so I said, okay. So I went back to the guys and I said, okay, well, Tommy said he'll publish it if you write it. And they did. And they wrote them up. And uh, it's an interesting thing to see characters that you created and written, written by other people. Because then you get a new insight into them. Like, I'm reading these characters, and I know I created them, but it's like I'm reading them, and I'm saying, wow, okay, I'm I'm learning things about them that I didn't know before. Right. It, it's amazing how people can play in your play box, so to speak, your sandbox, and then you just discover these new traits, and all of a sudden, and you're like, oh, I actually kind of like that. But then you also have the option to throw away something, too, if you don't like too much of it. <laughs> No, no, no. Actually, you know something? And uh, I've had, had people that ask me, they say, oh, yeah, well, you went through it and you, you know, edited it and you threw out stuff and everything like that. And I said, nope. I said, actually, I did not. I mean, there were like some little continuity things. Yeah. Obviously. And I might have, you know, said, OK, well, let me change this. Uh, uh, let me tweak this just just a tad bit. But other than that, no, I left it alone. And and what you'll be reading is, you know, that's it. What these guys wrote, that's it. it it's on there. I didn't, you know, I said I didn't go and say, well, listen, you can't do this or you can't do that. You, you know, because I didn't want to do that because I wanted them to write their interpretation of right. Dylan or, you know, whatever characters they wanted to write. See, otherwise, there was no reason for them to do it. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, speaking of Mark, did uh one of the one of the books of his that I've read, um, it was a it was a four short stories. It was a book called Fate Yesterdays. Oh, Joe, Joel, Joel yes, that's the other writer that read. Yeah, how could I forget Joe? <laughs> He's gonna kill me when he hears this. Uh, maybe not. I doubt it. He's Joe's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Even though Sly is not a nice guy, but you know it's all good. Uh, so. 
Mark, back to Mark, though. Did you read Facer Yesterday's, that book that Mark put out a few years ago? It has four short stories in it. Which book was that? Uh, it, it was uh, for, Face Your Yesterdays. Uh, Mark Bosquet did it. Probably. Yeah. I've read most, most everything that I've read. I've, I've read, what was that book of his? I read that about three or four times now. The Haunting of Kraken Moore. I think oh, I've yeah. read that thing. Yeah, Kraken I think Moore's I've read that thing about like three or four times now. Yeah. And of course, he has Kid Rapscallion, uh, the, oh. his superhero story, which is phenomenal. That's another one I read like, like three or four times. I, I think I was the first time I read that book. I read that book and no lie, I put it down. Bam! I went right to my keyboard and I wrote a review. Yeah. And I very, I very rarely do that. And I and I and I followed suit because I did the exact same thing when I finally finished it, like not that long after you, because it, it's that good that you just gotta you gotta tell people about it. Yeah, yeah, you gotta tell. And every once in a while. I will, you know, repost the review that I did because I said, you know what? If you want to read a superhero novel, this is the one. This is one you definitely should read. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. Don't get me wrong, but that one, to me, if I hit the lotto tomorrow, well, of course, first I would do I put the money in a Dylan movie, but whatever <laughs> was left over, I'd probably put it into doing a movie version of that book. Oh, That's man. how good it is. Yeah. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, E.G., a.k.a. Ghost Dog, the host of the premiere podcast for reviewing live entertainment, mostly concerts. Catch the show. What is Catch the Show? How You don't... You don't know what Cast the Show is? Well, Catch the Show is a little podcast of mine that's part of the Great Hyphen Podcast group that you should be listening to. Why? What makes this show so special? Well, it's very simple. I have a unique and blessed lifestyle of being able to get paid to see concerts and go and see more concerts. Uh, I live in a big city, so there's a lot of music venues around me. And Artists are coming to town from left and right, weekly, daily. So that makes a lot of shows I get to catch. And I took it upon myself to create a podcast based on talking about these shows and whatnot. Because I didn't see anybody else doing a podcast on concerts and whatnot. So, yeah, I took it upon myself to do that. And that's what you get when you listen to the show. You get me talking about pop culture, music-related news, concerts, all the different concerts I've seen, past and recent. I even have a segment called The Catch-Up, where I review an artist's uh, catalog from album by album. And yeah, man, I I got concerts and I got episodes about concerts from Justin Timberlake to Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to Drake. You name it, I've probably seen it. So yeah, what are you doing, all right? Pause this episode, go to whichever podcast platform you listen to, hit look for catch the show, hit the subscribe button, and then when this episode is over, go give your boy a listen, man, and catch the show. Catch it, all right? Hyphenpodcastgroup.com or find me on any podcast service you listen to. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Radio Public, Anchor, Stitcher. Go listen to the episode and catch the show. Catch it. Just like the title says. Every time I read it, I I catch things I didn't notice before. 
Right. And Mark was like, oh, I just kind of wrote that on a whim. I was like, you did that on a whim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And know something? You'd be surprised. Those are the ones that turn out. I wrote Search for the Beast. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was a lark. I wrote that on a lark. Tommy said, well, you know what? There's this really B movie. He said, I mean, it's a B, B movie. He mm-hmm. said, but I met the right. He said, but I met the guy who wrote the movie and he directed it and he starred in it and he wants a novelization. He said, do you think you could do it? And I said, well, send me the movie. And he sent me the movie. And I just looked at it. And I said, you know, so I, well, I can't do a straight novelization, but I can put a spin on it. And I did it just for a lark. And I think that I wrote that like, shoot, maybe like in two or three weeks I wrote that. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm looking at it now, and I mean, this ain't no, I mean, it's 176 pages, but still, I mean, it's a novelization of a of how, of, a, of a movie. So, yeah. I mean, it, and it wasn't even something you were familiar with, which is even crazier. Didn't like, you literally watched it and then went to the keyboard. Didn't even know anything about it at all. And if you ever see the movie... You know, because I've had people who have seen the movie and they've emailed me and they said, I have no idea how you got the story that you wrote from what you saw. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. Yeah, well, listen, I did it like I said. I did as a, you know what? And um, since I didn't feel any pressure, like, you know, there was no deadline, uh, you know, nobody really cared if I, you know, that's the kind of attitude that I took. Well, listen, nobody's really going to care about this anyway. And that gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. Right. You know, and that's, and that's always a bonus to have too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you, uh, amongst all your other writing, amongst all the other things that you're doing in your normal everyday life as Derek Ferguson, you also take a lot of time to sit down at your own sites which I believe are like DerekLFerguson.com and I believe Dylan has uh, a site. And I think, I don't know, if you used to have the Blood and Ink site or did you kind of fold that into Derek L. Ferguson? Uh, that's Ferguson Inc. Okay, that's Ferguson Inc. Okay, yeah. FergusonInc.com. So th- he has many websites where you're going to plug at the end so that you can find anything you need to know about Derek. Um, but Derek reviews a lot of things. And... There will be things that won't surprise you, like I am sure that, or here we go, Captain Marvel came out in March, and shortly after it came out, Derek went to go see it, and then he wrote a review of Captain Marvel. But then you turn around and go to his uh, site uh, and check out a review, and he just did a review of the new Jordan Peele movie, Us, which I'm dying to see, and I want to read the review because he doesn't spoil anything, but... Then you look at other things that he's reviewed recently, like Juanita. I didn't even didn't even hear of this. This is a Netflix movie that has Alfred um, uh, Woodard in it. And then you have Crush Groove, which is a a hip hop classic. <laughs> yeah. And so so what what draws you to what compels you really to still write reviews of these movies? I know you love the movies, obviously, and you you don't have Better in the Dark to kind of uh, talk about, but you went better in the dark than his heyday. You were doing a lot of reviews then. Like what compels you to, to go out there and, and give the people the review? Cause I trust your opinion as your, cause you're my friend, but um, what makes you do it, man? Um, even before there was such a thing as the internet, I was known among 
my friends and my family as the movie guy to go to because uh back in like the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. I would you know I would usually go to 42nd Street in Manhattan and uh that was a street on both sides between 7th and 8th Avenue and it was nothing but movie theaters and okay you go there and you could see a double or triple feature for like 2 or 3 dollars Glory days. Yeah, I mean, first run movies. And see, there's a lot of movies. Like, I remember I, I wrote a review of, um, what movie was that I wrote a review? I wrote a review of it, and I called it a Grindhouse movie. And, of course, somebody, I will not mention any names, uh, <laughs> emailed me and said, well, that's not Grindhouse. Uh, you, you know, uh, I mean, you know, well, quite obviously, you don't know what Grindhouse is. I said, listen. I was going to Grindhouse be- theaters before you were gleaming your father's eyes. Exactly. I know what a Grindhouse theater because I actually went to Grindhouse theaters. So any movie I saw in a Grindhouse theater is Grindhouse to me. You know? So, uh, yeah, so I was always going to movies. I would go to movies like two or three times a week. You know? Because it was cheap back in those days. You know? Yeah. I- yeah, you know, like I said, I could go for two, you know, two, two or three dollars. Yeah, to see and that see, many movies, how can yeah, you pass it up? See that, right, yeah, see that many movies. So people, so even back in the 80s, uh, I mean, you know, I would have people that would call me up and say, well, listen, I want to go see so-and-so and so-and-so. Did you see it? I say, yeah, so well, how is it? Oh, man, well, you know, go see it. You'll like it. This is what it's about. And I would give them, like, you know, like 30 seconds, I would describe enough of the plot to say, okay, I'm going to go see it. Now, at this same time, I fell in love with a movie reviewer, very famous one, named Roger Ebert. God bless the dead. And Roger Ebert, every year, he would publish these massive yearbooks, and they were like 400 pages. And in those pages were all the movie reviews he had written that year. So I would... Every year around Christmas, I would get one of these books mm-hmm. and I would sit there and I would just endlessly read Roger Ebert's reviews over and over and over and over and over. I gotcha. And over and again. And I say, you know something? One day, this is what I want to do. So along comes the internet. And lo and behold, I can write reviews and I can post them. <laughs> you know, which is what I started doing, you know. And I started doing it. And you know what? Of course, people say to me now, oh, well, you know, you should have got paid for this. You should be getting paid for this. You say, I say, yeah, you know what? I should be getting paid for a lot of things. Yeah, but I'm should. not. So, you know, what the hell? You know what? I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun. It, it's a way to exercise another set of creative muscles because it's a different type of writing. Yeah. Which is what I always tell writers who always say, oh, because... Uh, that's the one question every other writer is going to ask me. They're going to say, oh, well, what do you do by writer's block? I say, well, write something else. Yeah. Don't write what you usually write. Write something else. That's why when I was, you know, because at one point I was writing original fiction, fan fiction, and movie reviews. Well, if you're doing all that different type of writing, which you're using different set of creative muscles, you have no room for writer's block. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta you gotta make sure that uh, you're keeping it fresh. Yeah, yeah, that's it. 
And uh, writing the movie reviews, it's a lot of fun. And I like telling people about movies <clears throat> that they uh, that they otherwise might not have seen, like Crush Groove. A lot yeah. of people don't know about Crush Groove. Wasn't even available. Like, if you didn't see it in theaters when it came out, like, you didn't see Crush Groove until really until like the late 90s when they finally put it on like VHS and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, movies like Golden Needles and mm -hmm. like Bill Jones and Three the Hard Way and, you know, and uh, well, fa well, I haven't done a review of Phantasm yet. But, you know, movies like that, that people, you know, had never, and, and I, and again, I get emails from people saying, man, I've never heard of this movie. Thanks a lot, you know, for telling me about it, you know. And, uh, you know, th that gives me more satisfaction than writing a review of, say, like, something like Avengers Infinity War, which, of course, everybody's going to go see anyway. I mean, yes. that's, I mean, movies like that is, I mean, those movies are review proof. People are gonna go see them no matter what, mm -hmm. you know. But I still do feel an obligation to write a review because I just want people to know how I feel about you know the Marvel movies, which I love. I love all of them, you know. You'll never hear me say a bad thing about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this know, isn't the Spider-Man three days, thankfully. Yeah, I mean I don't care because you know why? Because these are the movies that I've been waiting to see ever since I was ten years old. Yes, they are. It still it still blows my mind that we're seeing these this stuff, and it's been eleven years since yeah. Iron Man, and to yeah. see some of the things we've been able to see since the Marvel Cinematic Universe started, it it's amazing to see our comic books come to life on the screen. I still owe I still owe owe Percival Constantine. I still owe him ten dollars because for years I was telling him they'll never do a Black Panther movie. <laughs> And I mean, when I went to see Black Panther, I had a lump in my throat. I really did because I never, I you know, I never, never in my wildest dreams thought I was going to see a Black Panther movie, much less one done that good, that damn good. I know, I, I I know. I was just talking about how I felt like there's a little bit of a backlash against it, like around award season. Like with people, like people who used to, who really loved it at first, and then it's like they're a year removed from it, and they're like kind of nitpicking and stuff. Like I've watched that movie, Derek, and it's just, I, I just get this warm feeling of like euphoria come over me, man, because that that movie is top to bottom a a great film, and yeah. then you get it, and then it's a Black Panther movie, yeah. After that, so I, I am with you when it comes to that lump in your throat. Yeah, I mean, you know, stuff like Thor. I never, mm -hmm. I never believed I was going to see a Thor movie. You know, Thor, Avengers. Come on, if, if you had told, I'd have laughed myself into a hernia. If you had told me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah, they're going to make an Avenger when pigs fly. But now we have all of these terrific movies, and then we have, you know, other movies that don't do as good, and you know, they're not as well received. But I still enjoy them anyway, like Suicide Squad. You know, and then of course we had Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Oh my God, Aquaman! A lot of people are talking about how good Aquaman is. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, well, I, listen, go see. You know what? Go see Aquaman because that's the movie where apparently DC has turned the corner and say, you know what? We're just going to copy Marvel and just get it over with. Because a lot of people I know 
thought that was a Marvel movie. You know, who don't know the backstory of the character. Yeah. Something like that. They thought it was a Marvel movie because, you know, it was similar in tone and feel. And, oh, wow. You know, and that, yeah. yeah. It's a lot like Thor. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. You sold me. You sold me. Because yeah. I love the first Thor. You know, I love this oh. start to finish. Oh, I love Thor. Yeah, well, Thor is my favorite Marvel superhero. Thor. Yeah. I love Thor. I mean, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Did we ever? Did you ever think we was gonna get Guardians of the Galaxy? No, and I didn't think it was gonna work. Like yeah. I went into that movie ready for to be disappointed, and I came out, and it's one of my favorite Marvel films. I I came out of the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Came out. My wife was saying, "Are you all right?" Because I guess because of the look on my face. <laughs> and I went home. We went out to dinner. I went to bed. And the next day, she had to do something, so I drove her to wherever she had to go. And I went right back to the movie theater, and I saw it again. Hell yes. The very next day, yep. Hell yeah. And I mean, it's wild what what we've been able to get in moments like that. Like, even Ant-Man... Like, I was ready again, especially after Edgar Wright left it. I was ready to go into Ant-Man. I'm like, all right, this isn't going to be what it could have been. And I came out of Ant-Man, and I was like, that was awesome. Never yeah. in my life did I think I'd care about an Ant-Man movie. If you had told me, again, if you had told me a few years ago, Derek, you're going to go see an Ant-Man movie, and you're going to love it. Again, I'd have laughed myself into a hernia. <laughs> oh, but, man. You know, and... um. Me, and I think that the reason why my reviews are as popular as they are is because I'm spending my own money seeing these movies. So trust me, if I say that the movie is good, you can believe it's good because I didn't see it for free. I did, you know, I paid my money to see it. And one yeah. thing about your review style is that you you don't spoil anything, which is huge. Uh, so you can safely read a Derek Ferguson review and, and get an idea of what the movie's about without ruining it. But then you also don't trash anything because there are stuff on here on your site uh, that you don't like. And you and you're just say, eh, should you watch this movie? Uh, maybe not. But at the same time, you leave it open to the viewer's interpretation and not just shut them down because you didn't like it, which is huge. Well, you know what? Every movie, no matter how bad I may think it is, Every movie is somebody's favorite. Amen. No matter you know, no matter how bad I think it is, that movie is somebody's favorite, and I have to respect that. I have to respect the fact that you know. And one thing that I really okay, one thing fills me with a lot of disgust. I read a lot of of these uh, movie review sites. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, well, why do these people even bother going to movies? Because apparently there is nothing that they like. Yeah, and they just tear it down. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's one review after another, after another, after another. It's just all this vicious bile, you know, just tearing this poor movie to shreds. A movie that nine times out of ten. The, first of all, folks, it's just a movie. Right. You know, save some of that energy for something in your life that actually matters. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people could use that advice nowadays. Oh, my God. It's just a movie, folks. You know, calm down. But especially the backlash that, you know, like a lot of these superhero movies get now, 
it really makes me despair of the human race sometimes. People are just awful to each other, especially once they get on those keyboards, man. And it's it's been a problem that has been since the internet's come into the mainstream. Essentially, it's always been a problem. But nowadays, it's just so easy to kind of point and click and just say whatever you want to somebody and then not have to worry about the consequences because it's the internet and people just don't care. They have no filters anymore. It's it's crazy. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, if it's somebody, you know, if I'm in Brooklyn and somebody is in, you know, East Patagonia, you know, and they can say whatever they want, they, you know, I have no way of getting to them, you know. So they feel, you know, safe enough. Well, I can call him an asshole. What's he going to do? And they're right. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. Only thing I can do about it is, to, and I get, you know, a lot of times I'll get slammed for, you know, some little petty bullshit, everything like that. Yeah. And the only, and the only thing that I can do is just not engage that person, which I don't. I, you know, I don't give them that satisfaction. And a lot of people won't turn the cheek and turn their cheek. They just they want to have the last word, and it's it's not worth it. Like you're just wasting your time and energy trying to one up this person instead of just letting it go and moving on with your life, like you just said. Yeah, and listen, let me tell you something. And there are some people you will never have the last word because they will stay on that keyboard all day and all night if necessary. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. They just, uh, yeah. yeah, I've been in. The, I've been there a few times myself. You know, yeah, like yeah. I, and, yeah. And it, you know what is, you know what is just not worth it. You know, just you know, say okay, well, you know what, just let me just leave that person alone right. and put my energies into something more worthwhile. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so that that pretty much takes care of your words of wisdom for this episode because that you nailed it right on the head that. Uh, you just need to put your energy towards something more worthwhile and not worry about such petty shit that people yeah. try to drag you into. Yeah, yeah. And I would much, I would much rather be an encourager and you know encourage people than you know tear down and destroy because that's easy. That's easy to do. It, you know, it doesn't take any wit or intelligence or sophistication to tear down another human being. You know, but try to encourage other people. Try to, you know, bring a little light into their life. You know, make them laugh, entertain them. That's a gift. That's what you strive for. That's what I, in my own small way, that's what I try to do. I don't know how successful I am. The only ones who can judge that are the people that read my stuff. <laughs> 100%. Oh, man. So I'm going to tell you one more story about Derek and me. And then we're going to start plugging some things and get on up out of here. So um, I, as we mentioned before, used to write fan fiction. Um, I used to write for this site called DC Anthology that I founded with the aforementioned Eric Frome and another friend of mine, uh, Clayton Tooley. Uh, we started Marvel and DC Anthology and everything. And I used to write Robin, like Tim Drake Robin back in the day. And we actually did a reboot. And I was kind of coming, I was like on the second volume of the Robin series, I was trying to retell stories I had already told like a few years earlier, except with, you know, just some updated things. And I was, I knew more as a writer and everything. And I wrote this issue and I put it out. And actually, actually it might've been uh, Robin volume three for anybody who's keeping count at home. But seriously, <laughs> um, I put it out, put out the issue and I kept reading it. And I thought it was good. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to send this to Derek. 
And I just want to see what he thinks of it. Because if anybody's going to tell me this needs tweaked and this needs tweaked, I'm going to send it to Derek. And so I sent it to him. And it took a couple of days because, I mean, Derek had a life, has a life. And he got back to me saying, I'm going to eat some chicken real quick. And now I'm going to read this. And I said, all right, cool. <laughs> so so um, he um, he looked at it and he, he kind of broke down some things. He's like, how come Robin's not in the story? Like everybody else is more important than Robin in the story. I'm like, see, I'm trying to sit the scene and I'm trying to like put um, like put all the pieces together and try to. And he's he's in college now, you know, and and try to do all this. And and he Derek never once said this is bad. You shouldn't do this or anything like that. Cause that's not Derek. Obviously you just heard how Derek approaches things, but essentially what Derek got to at the end of the day, he was like, and I'm going to read this quote for quote. So it, it, he said to me, uh, he said, I don't mean to piss in your rice bowl regarding this story, but after not, but after reading not only the second issue, but the first one as well, I only asked him to read the second one, folks. He went back and read the first one. He said, I think that your real interest is in the story you're telling about the campus life and not the one about Robin. And then he said, feel oh, free to oh, contact yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. And he said, feel free to contact me if you want to discuss this further. And we exchange a few more emails. Um, but that, I mean, like I said, me and Derek had just started like getting to know each other, like as online friends and stuff. Obviously we're still online friends, even though I have an open invitation to Brooklyn, which I keep trying to exploit and angels like, you're not going to Brooklyn. I'm like, okay, well one day I'm going to Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I greatly appreciated it. Cause he just, he cut right through the bullshit. Like he gave me critiques on the stuff, but then he was like, you're trying to tell the story about him being in college, but your story is more about college. You need to cut the crap and get to, Robin. It's not about UCLA, the boy wonder. It's about Robin, the boy wonder. And I, I always, I mean, I, I took it to heart because I was just like, I wasn't upset, but I really appreciated that he took the time to read this random duty new, his uh, little Robin stories. And I, and I actually think it helped me become a better writer. I ended up getting focused on music and stuff and not ever finishing that series. But at the same time, um, I always appreciated Derek's honesty with me. And then um, that's the reason why I've always held him in such high opinion because of that moment. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, when you said that, I said, okay, yeah, now, okay, I do remember that. Yeah, I remember that. But yeah, I mean, you know, listen, I mean, uh, for whatever reason, God chose to gift me with this talent. And, you know, one thing I, you know, I have many faults, trust me. But selfishness is not one of them. And uh, this talent, see, this talent just isn't for me to hoard and everything like that. And if somebody thinks that I can help them, if they have enough regard and respect for my talent to seek out, you know, any advice that they think I can give, I'm more than happy to give it. You know, listen, it doesn't cost me anything except time. And, and, you know, I got plenty of that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Ah, uh, so one, I'm I'm hella glad that you came on, man. It was good catching well, up with you. Thank you for having me. It's good, you know. We haven't chatted in a long time. This was yeah. a nice, nice little chat. I, always, I agree. Always good to reconnect with friends. And and we're we're going to, have to do it. We'll do it again more. Like not like every few weeks, but I because I know you got to write. I don't want to keep you from writing, which I did tonight. <laughs> but uh, oh no, listen, don't worry about it. I, Listen, I'll make it up tomorrow. I have nothing to do. I have nothing to do tomorrow. So there you go. So, so for all you Patreon people out there supporting Derek Ferguson, he's getting back to it tomorrow. Don't worry. 
Okay. Trust me. Yeah, yeah I've got. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have one more chapter to finish up because I got three uh, serials that are running on there. There's the Dylan serial. Mm -hmm. There's there's my uh, soap opera Shadows Over Samandi, <laughs> uh, and then there's One Night in Denbrook, which is my homage to 1980s action movies. Right, and and I, I love the fact that you're doing the soap opera because. Um, of I, I never expected that I would get hooked to into a soap opera. Like my mom used to watch like General Hospital and all that stuff that used to come on like ABC Daytime back in the day. But I actually ended up getting hooked on Days of Our Lives, like late in high or high in high school. And I would literally be I was stuck on it for a couple of years. So I can definitely appreciate the soap opera genre. See, see, you never watched General Hospital back when it was a pulp action adventure every day. No, I did not. Yeah, when they had it was it was as a matter of fact, know who was on the show that Demi Moore. Oh she okay. was on there play, playing uh intrepid reporter Jackie Templeton. And it was <laughs> Luke and Laura Spencer, it was Jackie yes. Templeton, and it was uh secret agent Robert Scorpio. Oh damn. And they were running around and there was these secret societies and there were mad scientists and there were ninjas. And it was crazy. It was like every day it was a pulp action adventure. That's what it was. You know, that it was crazy. And they had it culminated with this classic uh, story arc that fans of General Hospital still talk about to this day called the Ice Princess, mm -hmm. where, where this um, uh, this guy, he had this freeze ray and he was what? freezing <laughs> and he was freezing the town of Port Charles. No way. Yeah. Oh, that, this is wow. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it was Elizabeth Taylor came on there. She was a super villain. Oh, shit. There. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. General <laughs> Hospital. There was a period there where it was crazy, man. You was watching it. You said, man, what are these? I was watching. I said, man, what are these cats smoking? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there you go. So, some for some some you learn something new every day, and I just learned that General Hospital used to be badass. Apparently, yeah. And then and and then you had Edge of Night, which was a crime soap opera. Mm -hmm. And then of course there was Dark Shadows. And Dark Shadows. I, I knew of Dark Shadows. Yeah, and not yeah. the anything to do with that remake that they made a few years ago. The movie. Yeah, and, and I mean. Dark Shadows had vampires and werewolves and ghosts and witch and time travel and alternate universes and oh man, please. Well, just to show out, show what we're missing from daytime television nowadays. I'm telling you, daytime TV was bad back in the day. <laughs> man, we we're missing out. I'm mad. I oh, see, and you can never get like soap operas on DVD because they come out every single day. There's no way you're going to get 365 episodes of a whole year on DVD. I don't know if they've tried. I've never looked to see if they have, but it's no, just something that's no. uncollectible. No, no. I mean, the only soap opera that I know, well, Dark Shadows is is on Amazon Prime, and I okay. highly recommend it for anybody. You know, if you've never seen Dark Shadows before, you know. Please, if you got Amazon Prime, start watching it. I mean, it's it, it, it yeah, okay. Uh it's obviously done on a budget of eleven dollars and ninety-five cents. <laughs> but 
it's a history lesson. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, that's I mean, that's how I always tell people to look at, you know, m- movies and TV shows from that period. A lot of times um, we can look at the popular entertainment of years past and that will tell us a lot about the way that people thought and acted and, you know, what the society was like at the time that movie was made. Yeah, like um, I, I I never I I saw some of the old Dark Shadows. Like I actually uh, watched some. I don't I remember. I think I went over a friend's house and they had uh, had some of the Dark Shadows on. So I have seen some of the old stuff. So I'm I'm going to definitely have to check that out because uh, um obviously if Derek Ferguson recommends it, then you know it's you know it's good, ladies and gentlemen. Um, at least in my opinion. So, Derek. Yes, sir. Where can okay, aside from Amazon, you can find any of Derek's books on Amazon. You can get ebooks, you can get paperbacks, the whole run of that. You can you can do that on Amazon. But where can people find you on the interwebs? Okay. Now here's what you want to do. I have three places that you can go to to find out anything you want about me. Go to Google, put in Dylan. Now, that's that's the site that's got everything you want to know about Dylan. If before you pick up one of the books and you want to read it, this is where you go. There's a little bit of background about the character, his supporting cast, his world. Uh, There's artwork there from the terrific Sean E. Ali, who um, since the Dylan series has been moved to prosaic, he's designed the cover. Uh, Percival Constantine, he designed the Dylan logo. And uh, I thank them for their contribution. They are both fantastically ta- uh, talented gentlemen. Um, so, yeah, so you go there. Now, for my movie reviews, you want to go to the Ferguson Theater. And last count, I think there was about, like, close to 400 reviews that was up there. And that's so, not counting what you did in early 2000s, like on Digitally Mystic and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, please forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's when I was doing the fan fiction stuff. You know, the reviews of fan fiction, yeah. Um, So, yeah, so uh, you go there. Now, for everything else, you want to go to Ferguson, Inc., and that's Inc., like I-N-K. And there you have everything else. Uh, There's some essays I've written that are up there. There's some essays written by Shawnee Ali. Um, There are interviews that I've done with other writers. Um, I've got some book reviews up there as well. Um, yeah. So between those three websites, you will find out everything about me that you could possibly want to know. Uh, yes, I'm also on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, there's a group that I'm on most of the time called Usimi Dero. That's U-S-I-M-I-D-E-R-O. You can go there. Kalen is a member of it. Uh, a lot of the people that we've spoken of in this episode, they're members there too. You know, we all hang out there. We have a good time. It's very relaxed. It's very laid back. It's just a place for, you know, uh, it's a group I just started mainly so I could hang out with people I like to hang out with. And and it's and it's a nice getaway from the rigmarole of Facebook. Like you scroll through your normal timeline, you see shit you don't like, and you're like, man, I don't. I'm even on Facebook, and then you like see something from you, Darrow, and you're like, 
I'm into that. Let me go pop into the group for a little bit. And it's actually a good way to waste some time on Facebook because you're in a you're in a warm, safe environment. Essentially, there will be some debates, but I've never seen any kind of flame war or actual like real life vitriol come out of anybody on the Yusemidero uh, group. So I'm oh, happy no. you created it. And it's a yeah. it's a great, uh, great uh, group that you started. Well, you know what it is, is that, you know, um, you just have to pay attention to your group and what you're doing. A large part of the problem I found with a lot of Facebook groups is that the administrators or the people that create the groups, they just create them and they just, you know, leave everybody out there hanging. Right. You know, let them do whatever they want to do. And, you know, hey, you'll have a group that very quickly turns into Lord of the Flies. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. So, yeah, man, I'm I'm still kind of geeked that we did this because, like I said, Derek's been a long time friend of mine and one of the very first people I probably mentioned on this podcast is having on the podcast. And now here we are, episode ninety, and got Derek Ferguson on. So that's another another check mark off of the off of the list for me. So. Again, I can't thank you enough, D. I appreciate it. I am, listen, I am delighted and happy that uh, I was able to do this. And, you know, listen, we got to do this again. That's all I yeah, got to say. 100%. Get soon and often. Now, now the next next step, I guess, would be, I mean, maybe get Tom on here and then really go at it. But I'm going to have to, like, clear my schedule for that because that's not going to be a short conversation if we get all three of us <laughs> on here. Uh, oh no! If you get oh no, <coughs> listen. <coughs> excuse me. If you're gonna have Tom DJ on, yeah, it's not gonna be a short episode. No, this is not gonna be a short episode because I, I mean, Tom is another dear friend of ours. You know, you've spent time with Tom in real life. I've had phone conversations and many online conversations with Tom, and we both love Tom to death. But there is nothing short-winded when it comes to Thomas <laughs> DJ. And I remember going to I telling um. Going, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go podcast with uh, Derek and Thomas, and they they said it should only take about an hour, and it's like the SpongeBob three hours later, yeah, and I didn't regret yeah. any of it, not mm-hmm. one bit of it. So again, guys, uh, go if you haven't ever done it, check out the Better in Dark podcast. Please, 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 please go to Patreon.com/slash Derek Ferguson. Check out what my man is writing over there. Um, donate a little something like he says it, uh, the writing is not his main income he's retired he gets the kickback but he does not mind if you pay him for his hard work and labor over there so go go donate to my guy give him some love um tell him that i sent you and and remember he listens to every podcast so uh because he said it earlier he said yeah i listen to every podcast i'm like yeah i know you do so don't you better be watching yourself or derek Ferguson will be coming for you because he's. Uh, I know he's got my back and I got his. <laughs> so without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I appreciate okay. you guys listening. Derek, thank you again. Thank you. I want to thank your listeners. Thank you for your patience, most of all. <laughs> you know, 
And uh, oh, thank, you all the, thank you for all the good things that you said. You know, I'm just, I'm gobsmacked. You know, I'm, you know, I don't take compliments very well, but thank you. You know, yeah, I appreciate yeah, you're welcome. It. I, I didn't bring you on here to do that, but at the same time, I was like, I have to do that. I want to get these out of the way. So next time I can just trash talk you the whole time. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah we can just go back and forth. I don't care. All right. <laughs> talk about each other's moms and stuff. That's fine. Take it oh, back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks, y'all. Greatly appreciate it. Can, can Derek, Derek, Derek? Can 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 I get either a a good night and God bless, or a go see that movie for the people just one time for do it for me, Derek? <laughs> matter of fact, I'm I'm gonna give you both. I'm gonna tell you folks that no matter where you go or what you do, go see that movie and good night and God bless. Ah, that's perfect. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. for listening don't forget to subscribe and comment this has been a hyphen podcast network production they're the bestest i'm getting paid at exposure